Well, welcome to the Miami Church Podcast. My name is Greg, and I am so glad that you are listening right now. Listen, man, life is hard, but we are here to help you. And so I hope you enjoy today's message. And man, our, our, our real prayer and our real hope is that, that the message today will help you take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Well, we're in a message series that we're calling Seven Signs, and we're tracking with the Apostle John as he journeys with Jesus. He's an eyewitness to the life of Jesus, and now he's an old man, and he documents his experience, and it's become known to us as the Gospel of John. And what I love is John doesn't just give us his story so we simply know what happened. John wants us to know why. In fact, he says, hey, I have an agenda, and I want you to know my agenda John 20, 30, 31, he says, Jesus performed many other signs in front of his disciples that are not written in the book, but these, 31, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And if you believe this, you will have life because you belong to him. And John organizes his gospel, his account around seven events. And they serve as signs, seven signs. And these signs point toward Jesus's identity. And John says, these signs convince me, and man, my hope is they will convince you as well. Now, we've looked at signs one through four, and today we are in sign number five, John chapter nine, verse one. It says, as Jesus went along, he saw a man who was blind. He'd been blind since he was born. John says, the man is blind, he can't see, and that he had been blind from birth. Uh, and, and we know from the account that he is a grown man now. So we're talking about a man who, who has been blind for years. I mean, we're talking decades. Verse 2, Jesus' disciples ask him, Rabbi, who sinned? I mean, was it the man born blind because he sinned or, or did his parents sin? Now, there's a fun word, sin. I mean, really, the word sin, it's really a loaded word. And what comes to your mind when, when I say the word sin is based on your background. See, you bring your background into your definition, into your definition of sin. See, in the New Testament, sin is really anything that hurts you, anything that hurts those around you. I mean, if it hurts your wife, if it hurts your husband, if it hurts your kids, if it hurts your coworkers, if it hurts your neighbors, and then it's sin because sin breaks. It breaks relationships. I mean, maybe an easy way to think about it is this way is if it's not good for you, if it's not good for your spouse, if it's not good for your kids, if it's not good for your coworkers, if it's not good for your friends, then it's sin. And sin destroys and sin breaks. And so this question they're asking in verse 2, it's like, hey, Jesus, who sinned? It's coming from an assumption or a point of view. It, it's assumed that sin and suffering are connected, that, that there's this cause and effect relationship, right? And the rationale is if this, there's sin, then there are consequences, pain and suffering. And that's true. Sometimes suffering and pain is caused because of your behavior. You make a choice and there are consequences to your choice, right? 
if you make a choice, there are consequences. And, and when that's the case, it's usually obvious. But here in this account of the blind man in John 9, Jesus is actually creating a new category. Look what he says, verse 3. He says, it isn't because this man sinned, said Jesus. It isn't because his parents sinned. He was born blind so that God's power could show by what's going to happen. <laughs> Hold on. Look at this. Don't miss this. There's 41 verses in John 9, and this week I have been stuck right here in verse 3 on one phrase. And Jesus says, hey, it's not the man's sin. It's not his parents' sin. Look, look at what he says. John, he says, he was born blind so that God's power could be shown by what's going to happen. So you're telling me this guy was born blind. He's been blind for years, for decades. And all of that for this moment? <laughs> what? I mean, Jesus is creating a new category. Jesus created a new way of thinking. Jesus said, hey, pain and purpose has a has a, has a purpose. Pain has a purpose. I mean, perhaps all pain has a purpose. I mean, Jesus' pain certainly had a purpose. And, and he's saying, hey, the, the blind man's pain has a purpose. I mean, your pain, your suffering, I mean, is there something bigger? Is there something beyond? See, when life doesn't go according to plan, we, we naturally look for someone or something to blame. I mean, this tendency goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when, when Eve said, hey, the devil made me do it, right? Blame. But no one wins at the blame game. I mean, what about you? I mean, what about your pain? What about your sickness? What about your suffering? I mean, yes, you, you could be in a tough spot because you made a bad choice and you made some choices that broke a relationship or you spent too much money and you're in debt. But could there be a different category? Could there be a bigger purpose? I mean, you got laid off for your job. Your business is crashing. I mean, you're sick. You're in constant pain. Your husband isn't changing. You're single without no one on the horizon. You're stuck. You're stuck in a career. I mean, this is not how it's supposed to be. I mean, who sinned? You? I mean, who sinned? Your parents? I mean, maybe. Or is this a new category, a, a Jesus category? Jesus says, hey, this man was born blind so that God's power could be shown by what's going to happen. I'm reminded of the story of the Apostle Paul. I mean, even if you're not a church person, you've, you've probably heard of the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's famous. In fact, he's one of the most famous people in history. And some of you know the story that Saul was a persecutor of the church. It became Paul. He had this encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And, and it happened a few years after the resurrection, like, like three or four years. And then he, he, he starts churches for 20 years. But what's interesting is after Paul became a follower of Jesus, something devastating happened to him. He was afflicted with this physical ailment. In fact, it was such a big deal. It, it was an impediment. It, it kept him or it hindered him from doing what God called him to do. It, helped, it hindered him from living his purpose. So what does Paul do? I mean, he did exactly what I would do or exactly what you would do. He, he asked God to remove it, to take it away. He prayed 
And he cried out and he, he pleaded with God. And God said, said no, nope. And God, and God says, I mean, I, I don't care how much faith you have, Paul. I mean, I don't care how long you pray. Uh, I, I don't care how obedient you are. I, I don't care how, how long you fast. I, I don't care what you promise. I, I, don't care, uh, I don't care how you bargain. The answer is no. And Paul begged God to change it. And, and here, here's actually how Paul records it. These are his words. Look, look at this. This is what he says. Is this, a, this, is a new, this is a new category. He records it in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Begin verse 7. He says, therefore, in order to keep me, this, Paul's writing this, from being conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. This idea of a thorn in the flesh, it's, it's really this idea of a, of a constant irritating problem, like a, 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 a thorn, right? He says, verse 8, he says, it was a messenger of Satan to torment me. Now, there's some figurative, literal speech here going on, but, but the point that he's making, he, he says, hey, this, this is thorn in the flesh, it's so awful that it torments. Like this is the idea that every single day there is constant pain. When I stand up, when I try to sleep, whether I'm walking, whatever I'm doing, there's this constant pain. And we don't know exactly what the physical ailment was. Um, many have ideas. Some say it's epilepsy, this idea of a recurring epilepsy and that Paul could have seizures all the time. Some say it was uh, this idea of, of migraines or debilitating headaches. And, and some of you, if you suffer with migraines, you get this. You understand the pain. Some say it was some version of malaria and that he would have these bouts with malaria. Others say, no, it was eye problems. We know that, that Paul had problems with his eyes. And it could be something with his eyes. Again, in the first century, there's no Lasix, there's no contacts, there's no glasses. But, but here's what we do know. It, it's some kind of physical ailment that was constant. It, it tormented. That's a big word. It tormented. Everywhere he went, every place that he tried to do ministry, that he tried to live out his purpose, it tormented him. And if you're sick and suffering right now, you get this. You get the idea of torment. I mean, whether it's arthritis or headaches or depression or maybe you can't sleep or addiction, it's, it's tormenting. And Paul says that three times I pleaded with God, take it away from me. Now, again, this isn't some kind of like casual, like, hey, God, like, totally God, like, can you help me out over here? I got this thing. Can you, like, take it away? I mean, I mean it would, this is not a casual Ask. I mean, the idea that we, that we get from Paul's writing is this is intense. That Paul entered three significant, intense seasons of prayer. And he was pouring out his heart. God, heal me, God. Please heal me. I beg you. He's pleading in desperation for God to take this thorn, this thing that's tormenting. But, but God said to me, and Paul says, my grace is for, sufficient for you. And Paul is saying, heal me, change my circumstances, fix my problems, relieve my pain. Please take this away. And God says, no, no, Paul, but my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is enough. Paul, it's, it's, it's all that you need. 
I'm not, I'm not Paul, going to give you what you're asking for. But my grace, that's an interesting word, grace. It's used 155 times in the New Testament, the second part of the Bible. And there's this idea of grace for salvation and grace for daily life, right? There's this, this idea of grace for salvation. It's this undeserved favor. I don't deserve it, but God loves me as I am. God loves me as I am. And through Jesus, he makes an opportunity for me to be in a real, authentic, personal relationship with him. And then there's the idea of daily grace. This is the ability to put one foot in front of the other. The ability to get through another day. This is the ability to go to work and to endure another day, to come home into the unknown and to endure, to keep going despite what is happening around you, despite that things aren't changing. I mean, where do you need grace today? Where do you need God to show up in your life today? The picture of grace is kind of this idea of God leaning in toward us because he wants to be near to us. I imagine myself sitting on, on my sofa with my youngest son and just embracing him in his pain. And so God says to Paul, whom he loved, who did amazing things for, for Jesus, he says, no, Paul, I, I'm not going to remove this thorn in your flesh. I'm not going to remove this physical problem, but, but I tell you what I'm going to do, Paul. I'm going to give you the strength to keep going forward. I'm going to give you the strength to take the next step. And look what he says. He says, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. My power is made perfect in weakness. This, this idea of perfect here, this word means mature, coming to full fruition. It's like fully on display. Now, none of us are sign up for this. We're not looking for the sign-up sheet. I mean, we want to be the person on the stage. We want to be the person receiving the word in my strength, in my talents. It, I, I want to accomplish. I want to be the executive of the year. I want to be the salesman of the year, the employee of the year. I want to, to see everything up and to the right. I want to leverage my talents, my gifts, my opportunities, not my weakness. And here is the good news. We don't get to choose. I mean, none of us would choose this. Paul would not have chose this. We don't get to choose. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to remove the weakness, Paul, but, but I'm going to give you the power to keep going in spite of your weakness. I'm giving you what is called enduring grace, the, the power to endure. Now, we live in a culture that's obsessed with the flash, right? It's all about the show. It's all about getting clicks. It's all about getting likes. It's all about getting followers. But endurance, consistency. I mean, you know what? You want to be a good husband? You want to be a good wife? I mean, you want to be a good parent? I mean, you want to be a great boss? You, you want to be a great student? You, 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 you want to be a great friend? You know what it is? It's showing up day in. Day out, week in, week out, endurance, consistency, integrity, dependability. God says, my strength comes into its own in your weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. 
Paul says, hey, I think God really gets to show off best, not in my strengths, but in my weakness. God shows off best in my pain. God shows off best in my suffering. And I'm like, whoa, time out, Paul, what? Paul says, I think God really gets to show off best, not in my strengths, but in my weakness, in my pain, in my suffering. Look what he says, verse 10. He says, that's why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulties. Look what he says. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What? I mean, this is a, this is a new category. I mean, this is something grander. This is something bigger. This is something uh, that speaks to a bigger purpose. So Jesus, who sinned? Did this guy sin? Was his parent? Did Paul sin? I mean, I mean, Jesus, who, who is it? Jesus says, no, nobody's sin. Look how, look how the message says it. It says, Jesus says, you're asking the wrong question. You're looking for someone to blame. There's no such cause and effect here. Look instead for what God can do. Are you looking in the wrong place? Are you asking the wrong question? Is there a different category Is there a a new category? I mean, Jesus says, he was born blind so that God's power could be shown by what's going to happen. What? How many years was he blind? All of this for this moment? You know, at some point we must recognize that the circumstances we ask God to change are often the very circumstances God uses to change us. What? Whoa, whoa, whoa. We must recognize that the circumstances we ask God to change are often the very circumstances that God uses to change us. I mean, have you ever considered the purpose of your pain? Have you considered the purpose of your suffering? I mean, sometimes God chooses to display his power on the stage of your suffering. I mean, what do you do when God chooses to showcase his power on the stage of your weakness? (laughs) I mean, this is so good and so rich and so deep. And I doubt I'm going to get any fan mail from this because the prosperity gospel is just so much more fun. It's so much easier on the ears. And this defies logic. This defies human understanding. But this is a new category. This is a Jesus category. This is lifted straight from the pages of the Bible. Now, there's 38 more verses in this story or in this sign. I mean, verse 6, I mean, why did Jesus spit? Why didn't Jesus just say, hey, open your eyes? Why didn't Jesus say, see? I mean, why did Jesus get down and spit in the dirt and make mud and put the, the, the mud on the guy's eyes? I mean, verse 7, go, he says to this blind guy, go wash in the pool of, of, of Siloam. I mean, the pool is, is a long way. So here's a blind man with mud on his eye, and he's got to travel a long ways to this pool. I mean, the blind man literally walks by faith, not by sight. There's so much in John 9. And my prayer is that you would read it today, that you would engage it, that you would open it up and you would just simply say, God, what is it that you want to say to me from your word? Open my eyes, open my ears. What are you saying to me? From John chapter 5. But I got stuck in verse 3. 
Because God chooses to showcase his power on the stage of this guy's weakness. And guess what? It may not get any better. It may not change. In fact, I've got a friend that's been sick for years and been sick for decades, that's been praying for healing. And, and maybe God will or maybe he won't, but I know that God gains a great amount of attention by demonstrating his strength in your weakness. How does that affect your faith? I mean, what is it that impresses you most, an instant miracle or this idea of sustaining grace? So you can't experience God's sustaining grace without, with, while resisting his plan. And, and this is the rub. This is hard. To resist his will is to resist his grace. And if you're unwilling to accept no for an answer, you, you're struggling to deal with the situation in your own strength, it's just not going to work. See, genuine prayer isn't about getting what, what you want, but about surrendering your, your plan. Genuine prayer reminds us that we are not in control and it keeps us close to the one who is. Genuine prayer isn't just asking, but it's trusting. I mean, are you looking in the wrong place? Are you asking the wrong questions? Are you looking for something or someone to blame? See, Jesus creates a new category. He says, hey, this guy was born blind. And he went through years and years of blindness so that God's power could show up in what's about to happen. So all of these years, all of this so that God's power could show up. I mean, what if God chooses to showcase his power in your weakness? What if God chooses to showcase his power in your, in, in your pain? What if... God chooses to showcase his power in your suffering. This is a new category. And maybe there's things going on far beyond what you could dream, far beyond what you could imagine, far beyond what you could even come up with. John says, hey, these signs, these encounters, these events, these are written so that you may believe that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Life. Not life free of pain, not life free of suffering, but life in his name. <laughs> I want you to know, I want you to believe. And friends, you may be in pain, you may be suffering, you may have questions, you may have doubt, you may not understand. And that's the human experience. It's true of you. It's true of me. But John says, friends, there's a new category. There's something bigger. There's something grander. There's, there's deeper meaning and purpose that you may not get. It may defy logic. But friends, I want you to know. I want you to believe that. He says, I want you to believe. I want you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. And I want you to trust in him. And the idea here is to trust in him with your life, to give him your life with all the questions, with all the uncertainty, with all the pain, with all the give him your life. And then he says, You will experience a depth. You, you will experience meaning. You will experience purpose that's beyond our human understanding. Oh, that you would have life in his name. 
Thanks so much for listening today. We would love to hear from you. You can always reach out to us on our social media channels or send us an email at hello at miamichurch.com. Also, be sure to subscribe because you don't want to miss out on any future conversations. I hope our time together inspired you to take your next step in your faith journey.